1: Season's greetings, everyone. I'm Ryan Sprague, the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. And at this time of the year, I have a tradition to give to an organization that I firmly believe in. And that is the Women's Refugee Commission. The Women's Refugee Commission improves the lives and protects the rights of women, children, and youth displaced by conflict and crisis. They research their needs, identify solutions, and advocate for programs and policies to strengthen their resilience and drive change in humanitarian practice. There are currently more than 66 million persons forcibly displaced worldwide. So let's help make change this holiday season. For the entire month of December... 50% 50% of new Patreon subscriptions, book sales, and sales of any Somewhere in the Skies merchandise will be given to the Women's Refugee Commission. I'm so excited to have increased both the percentage and opportunities to help this amazing organization. And by supporting the show, you will too. So head on over to Patreon and become a member at patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Buy *The Summer in the Sky*'s book on Amazon. Just search for it by title or by name, Ryan Sprague. All *Summer in the skies merch is available at That's teepublic.com. That's t-e-e public.com, and search for *The Summer in the Sky* store. Thank you for helping, and I'm wishing all of you a very happy holiday season and a bright new year. And now, on with the show.
2: This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague.
1: Welcome to the Somewhere in the Skies and Unknown Podcast crossover episode, recorded live at AlienCon Baltimore. I am one of your hosts for today, Ryan Sprague. My colleague over at Rogue Planet, Jason McClellan and I, had an amazing opportunity to record a crossover episode in front of a live audience at AlienCon a few weeks ago, and this was The Outcome. We discuss our personal UFO sightings, and then audience members share theirs as well. It was a powerful and insightful discussion, reminiscent of my previous witness account episodes in the archives. While a UFO investigator or researcher can relay someone's UFO account to the best of their abilities, it just pales in comparison to hearing it straight from a witness's heart and voice. So that's what you're going to hear today. I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Somewhere in the Skies, an Unknown.
3: Greetings, citizens, and welcome to this Somewhere in the Skies, Unknown crossover episode. I'm Jason McClellan, and Ryan and I are excited to be recording this episode live from AlienCon, Baltimore. And we have the privilege of being joined today by this awesome audience at AlienCon. How are you guys today? Are you having fun at AlienCon yet? Yeah. We were so worried about that being so early in the morning, so thank you. This is one of the first sessions at AlienCon, so yeah, we know it's it's great for you to be here, great uh, that you have some energy to join us. <laughs> well... What about you, Ryan? Are you having fun at
1: AlienCon? This isn't your
3: first AlienCon. No,
1: I did the last event in Pasadena this past summer, which was amazing. I had no idea what to expect. Uh, As a UFO researcher, you know, I I watch Ancient Aliens, I'm I'm up with the times with all that, but I had no idea what to expect, and when I got there I was blown away, and that's kind of how I feel today, here on the East Coast, where I'm originally from. So it's it's good to be home, it's good to see a lot of familiar faces, new faces, and I'm pumped, man.
3: Yeah, I love events like this is my first Alien Con, but uh, we do a lot of UFO-specific uh, events, and a lot of the UFO conferences are largely academic. You know, where they're they're focused on the large uh, speaker component with lectures and, and talks about various topics related to UFOs, and what I think AlienCon has done really well with is blend the two types of conferences that I go to a lot, because I I do a lot of uh, Comic-Cons and things like that, too, and taking the two, kind of blending the best of both worlds in a topic, uh, centered around a topic that we love.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and bringing a lot of people together that might normally not. We all have this one sort of interest and passion in common, and that's you know the question of aliens. Right, you right. Know? And you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about UFOs today. Absolutely. How they're connected, how they may not be connected, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, so let's get into it. So the focus of our episode today is going to be specifically on UFO sightings, on UFO experiences, extraterrestrial experiences. And we're going to hear some of our experiences and also some, uh, of the experiences of our attendees here today. So I'm excited for that, but let's get started with ours, Ryan. Why don't you share whatever you would like to share?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I feel like a lot of UFO researchers have that origin story of how they got involved, why they do this with every free moment they have, which is what we do. You know, we research, study, investigate UFOs, Every waking moment, when we're not, you know, paying the bills and everything. So for me, uh, I had a UFO event when I was 12 years old. Uh, this happened in 1995, uh, and it was off the St. Lawrence River. Uh, if anyone's familiar, this was the border between Upstate New York and Canada, and the uh, the river literally. Connected the two. And I was on a weekend getaway with my parents uh, to go fishing. And we were staying at a motel right on on the water. And it was late at night. And I was listening to Green Day on my Discman. That brings you back to the 90s. And I was just, you know, casting my reel out, bringing it in, casting it out, bringing it in, listening to music. And I noticed uh, three lights in the water and I thought there was something under the water. So I start like peering over the edge, and uh, I noticed that it was not in the water. It was a reflection, so naturally I look up, and above me, I couldn't tell you how high up, how close it was, but it was three white lights and a, like, a reddish, orange, basketball-shaped thing in the middle. Um, it was in a triangular formation, I did not see a structure to this thing. I didn't see metal. I didn't see anything connecting it, but the lights were stationary. They were floating above me, and I could not see the stars or anything behind it. So I am guessing this was a solid object, but I can't say for sure. And it was silent. I didn't hear a thing. All I could hear was the water hitting the dock where I was fishing. I flung my headphones off, waiting to hear for some sort of uh, propulsion, nothing. I was really scared. This thing was floating silently above me. So I tried to yell for my father, who was inside our motel, watching a Yankees game. So I couldn't get him away from that. Um, But I was frozen. I could feel like a vibration from the back of my neck going down into my chest during all this. Um, I don't know what that was. Maybe I was just scared. Maybe whatever this was, was doing something, I don't know, but I was frozen, I couldn't talk, nothing, I finally was able to get a little squeal out, and my dad runs out, and as he's coming out, the thing starts going over the water towards Canada, and disappears out of sight. I don't know if it just went over the horizon, or if it actually went into the water, I couldn't tell you, but my father did see the tail end of this thing, so uh, I knew I wasn't just seeing things. He told me it was a plane, just a plane, you know, doing his fatherly job, um, but I knew different. I saw it right above me, silent, massive, and the next morning, we went to the motel person and said, did anyone report anything weird? He said, no, but we get stuff like that all the time, so that scared me even more. Uh, this was not the first time a UFO had been seen in this area. Again, I was 12 years old. I, it was fear, It was just fear. I didn't know what it was, and that kind of led to an obsession. I started taking out books at the library on UFOs and cryptids and all that good stuff, and uh, I would have nightmares about what I saw, and it it just really stuck with me. But I wanted to educate myself, and I started getting all the books, and that's kind of my origin story, as it were, and that's how I became a UFO researcher.
3: We'll see, and that's... That's a cool thing about your origin story is that it actually is tied to a sighting. Yeah. So, you get to tell both of yours in the same time. Which is <laughs> always fun. Um, so, I think I'm going to start just briefly by mentioning my sighting of the Phoenix Lights. You're probably familiar with the Phoenix Lights. It was a large mass UFO sighting in Arizona, and it was in March of 1997. I was a 17-year-old boy back then, and I grew up in the remote desert uh, on the outskirts of Phoenix. And on that night, I was out, um, I forget, our our property had, like, uh, I think our house was on, like, an acre or something of nothing but desert, and we had very few neighbors. It was very, very remote, very, very lonely. Uh, but that night, walking walking around the property, um, The lights were very hard to miss. We saw a lot of weird things in the sky all the time. And just for fun, sometimes we would go out and watch the military dropping flares because from where our house was, we had a clear line of sight to the Barry Goldwater Range where the A-10s frequently dropped the test flares that were later attributed to the Phoenix lights. But I knew right from the moment I saw those lights, that they were not military flares. I knew that this was something out of the ordinary, something that I had never seen before, and something that I should probably pay attention to. So I stared at these lights that were seemingly directly over my head, uh, a series of seven lights, and they were completely motionless, completely silent, And did not change in their formation or their appearance at all. They didn't flicker or change color. They were just a constant, steady series of lights hovering in the sky. Now, this frustrates me to no end uh, because of my career now. But uh, as a 17-year-old kid, my attention span was very limited. And after 15 minutes or so, I kind of lost interest and went back inside did something else but i came back later probably 10 minutes later the lights were still there and it gets worse i grabbed our camcorder and i recorded these lights for probably 10 minutes i'm pretty sure that video was recorded over by one of my brother's soccer games (laughs) so that that's haunted me for a while um But the Phoenix Lights was was an incredible thing, and I will say that those lights remained out there. And I, I didn't see them disappear. I don't know how they left. But I was aware that they were there for probably a span of 45 minutes. And I will say... Recounting any of my UFO sighting experiences, I've learned over the years and having dealt with so many experiences um, from witnesses and knowing what I know about witness testimony. I think witness testimony is incredibly valuable. I value that probably over much evidence that there is with UFO sightings. However, I do know the problems with eyewitness testimony, especially with my own. I have a terrible brain, and I know thinking back to something that happened so long ago, I would like to firmly say that, oh, I remember there were clearly seven lights, and they clearly did this, and I looked at my watch, and it was this time to the second. I have no clue. I don't remember what I had for dinner last week, let alone, you know, what happened to the second on a night so long ago. So... I do try to preface my my stories with that, saying this is what I seem to recall, this is what I think happened to the best of my recollection, but not 100% certain. So I I try to avoid very firm details with these stories. Phoenix Lights, however, as incredible as it was, and and it became such a monumental case, you know, the largest mass sighting in in modern history, wasn't the one that had the most effect on me. And I hate saying this because it makes me sound like a jerk, but to this point, I mean, I. I've lost count of how many UFO sightings I've had. And when I say UFO sightings, again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is a UFO researcher and journalist. Somebody who's done this professionally. I was paid a salary full-time, 50 hours a week, for a period of seven years to do nothing but UFO research. So I have reviewed and analyzed literally thousands of... UFO photos and videos, and being a responsible journalist and researcher, I got pretty darn good at being able to identify mundane things that that pop up in a lot of UFO photos and videos to weed those out and focus on the more interesting cases. So when I talk about my personal UFO sightings, sure, I've seen plenty of junk in the sky because the sky is littered with, with all sorts of things that, we, that looks weird to us. But the things based on my experience that defy explanation that I haven't been able to put an answer to it's I've, I've lost count but I I'd say typically it's about a dozen to this point. Um, and, again, the Phoenix Lights isn't the most exciting one to me, although it's the most well-known and became this, this giant thing, as it should, because it's incredibly important and fascinating. I think my first sighting as a researcher happened with the aid of night vision. And if you ever had the ability to use night vision and go sky watching, it is incredible. You see all sorts of stuff that you have no idea is there. And, again, a lot of this stuff is normal stuff that should be there. But then there are the things that make you scratch your head and maybe sometimes pee your pants, but mostly <laughs> scratch your head. Um, Speak for yourself. And, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the first, first times I, I, went, I did an outing with, with night vision, I did see the objects that you hear reference so often of things moving through the sky seemingly like satellites. With a similar behavior and appearance of a satellite moving through the sky, but then stopping, remaining in that same point, and then shooting off in another direction and disappearing from sight. Those situations just take your breath away. That that can't happen, but it just did. So those are some of the better ones um, that leave me very excited. And have happened multiple times. But there have been a lot of weird sightings, too. I mean, they're all weird. But, you know, Ryan mentioned a triangular shape. That's a, probably the most commonly cited shape today. But they run the gamut. They really do. And I love the names they come up with, especially in the U.K. They have, like, hamburger-shaped UFOs oh, yeah. and things. Those are great. I've never seen a hamburger-shaped UFO, but I have seen a rectangle UFO. And that one was, was hovering above the freeway. I was driving down the freeway and saw this object and it was it was dark so you couldn't really see um, or, or make out a shape of an object until I was directly under it and I could see that this object was motionless over the freeway and it was probably again who am I but to, to make this assessment, but I'm s- guessing it was about a hundred feet off the ground, but looking up at it as we drove under it, I could see edges and it had lights. It had round, big round lights on each edge of it. So it was just a big, big rectangle with two circular lights, gigantic craft just hovering over the freeway. And I've seen those actually a couple of times yeah. now. I, I've, I've spoken to many
1: witnesses who've seen very similar craft as well. Yeah, it really does run the gamut. The days of flying saucers have come and gone I mean, that was a product of its time. But we know now, like, people are seeing the weirdest things you can possibly think of. Some even seem organic. I've come across across cases where people see things, like, almost breathing or thriving in the sky, like some sort of biological entity almost. It's very interesting just, you know, trying to... We we spend so much time trying to put things in a box, but we can't. We we can't. I don't think anyone really can uh, when it comes to having a UFO sighting because it is something you've sort of you've never experienced before. There's no box to put it in.
3: And again, I always try to keep an open mind. Um, Even if I think I know an explanation, the the most likely explanation for something that I've seen, I know that that's just one explanation. There could be other possibilities. And one of those, you know, speaking about the biologic UFO, that's another example of of one of the weird ones that I've seen with a super crazy high powered lens um, in Mexico City. Um, I watched this object seemingly swim through the sky. And looking back at it now, you know, I was fully convinced this wasn't the case then. Now I, I as time passes, I consider the possibility more and more that, yeah, it was most likely uh, a, a research balloon, a weather balloon, because they do have this appearance, it had a long tail where the payload uh, you know is typically suspended from. but when I was there, when I was watching this thing move on the camera 's lCD, I could see these motions, I could see what seemed to be um, intelligent color shifting um, it was wild, and so I, although I do think it Probably was was a weather balloon, and just a, a result of seeing with it being so high in the altitude or high, had high altitude, and the sun was reflecting off it quite a bit, causing these seeming color changes. I still come back to that possibility based on based on what I saw. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to the possibility of the biologic UFO.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Roswell was a weather balloon too, Jason. So.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think we should probably open it up to hear some of our audience's stories here. So if you would like to share uh, a, a sighting or an encounter that you may have had, please come up to the microphone. And uh, again, we'll try to keep these as brief as possible so we can allow as many people as possible to share stories. And again, you don't have to share stories. Um, You don't have to use your name either. You don't have to use your name. Again, it's not video, it's audio. And certainly we'll be around all weekend. So if you'd like to share your stories with us and not be recorded, that's also a possibility for you later. So we'll keep talking. Feel free to come up to the mic and and we'll jump to you um, as it seems appropriate. Um, I want to point out, I'll bring up another sighting I had in San Diego. Actually, I was on my way to San Diego and um, this is how I I get so frustrated at myself with how lazy and complacent i become with with UFO sightings because (laughs) I just I don't know they don't affect me like they used to and when I, I I've had a couple of these sightings where I'm driving and I see something remarkable and I should pull over and look at this thing and I even sometimes have camera equipment in my car and I don't you know, take photos or video. I just keep driving. I'm all, oh, that's cool.
1: Well, that's th- the biggest issue we run into with skeptics is why didn't you record it? Why why don't these people pull out their cell phone? We have the technology now; it's in our pocket every second. Why aren't we taking photos and videos of these things? At least from personal experience, I the last thing on my mind was taking a photo of what I was seeing. I uh, it's a very personal powerful yeah. moment even if it's a prosaic thing you're looking at that you later discover was you know something you misidentified that moment of seeing something you've never seen before your total your reality your perception being eschewed last thing you're thinking of is oh i want to sh- i want to post this on youtube or instagram it's it's just i don't think that's really yeah that's you're in that immediate moment like enjoy it for what it's worth that's that's what i say Does it suck because we don't have photographic evidence of what you saw? Yeah, it does. But I think UFO sightings are deeply personal, and uh, they impact you in your own ways. However your beliefs were before that might be shifted. They might not. Who knows? But I know so many people who are like, oh, that was interesting, and they went on with their day as well. Some people, it changed their entire lives.
3: Yeah. So the the last one in San Diego that I should have pulled over for. I was actually going out to to San Diego to to see Tom DeLonge at Two of the Stars and I was driving. It was it was very early in the morning. I mean, very, like, probably an hour or two before the sun came up. So it was still dark driving on the road, only vehicle on the road. And I saw this light ahead that was in the sky, but I couldn't tell how far off the road it was. I assumed that it was an airplane. But as I kept driving, it seemed to just stay in the same place. And it was there for quite a while. And I had a clear view for a very long stretch of nothingness road and so I just assumed well this must be a planet then because clearly my the angle I'm at I can't tell perspective but it, it's a planet it hasn't moved it hasn't changed in appearance and it's it's pretty prominent so I think it's a planet as I kept approaching it was still there I thought that can't be a planet it's too low in the sky I kept getting closer and closer, and it stayed in that same spot. I was all, wait a second. I need to start paying attention to this. So as I got closer and closer, I could tell I was going to pass directly under it. And as I did, I looked up, and there was just a solid light there in the sky, pretty far up, but still quite seemingly large and bright. As I passed it, I saw a sign for a rest area. So I took the exit, got off at the rest area, got out of my car, turned around. I was gone. gone. There was nothing there. Yep. Welcome to our lives. Yeah, it's going to pull over faster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
4: Hi. Hi there. I just want to share my story, although I wish I had a closer experience like you, um, but my friends and I, this was back in the early 90s, we were um, at the Wachusett Reservoir, and we were watching, you know, the Perseid meteor showers that night, and we were looking up in the sky, and, you know, far up, everything just looks like a white dot, right? Those are the stars, and all of a sudden, one of those dots from north to south started jumping down in a straight line. So it wasn't blinking. It was like jumping. And then it stopped and made a perfect ninety degree change to um, you know to the east, and did the same thing, and then blinked off. And I said to my friends, Did you see that? (laughs) And They laughed at me. I said, what could that possibly be? But it was so far up. You could be, you know, a star. That's what it looked like. But it it couldn't have been a star because stars don't move like that. So we really couldn't figure out what it was. But it was exciting. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, the the whole stopping and making a 90-degree turn.
2: Right. To me.
1: I mean, no conventional aircraft with a pilot could survive something like that.
4: And it was so high. Not like, you know, a space station doesn't do that or anything like that.
1: Yeah. So... You do have to wonder, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, like, you want to jump to... It was aliens, but we don't know. Right. We don't know. Right. But at the same time, you have to wonder. And it
4: was fun to see. I can... My father also had an experience that he told me about that was a little closer, He was driving down the street with his wife and off into the woods he saw these rotating different colored lights. And they both looked and they saw that it was some kind of um, typical round craft that was just going through the woods following the road that they were on. And eventually, um, you know, got too forested and you couldn't see it anymore. But I wish I had been there for that one because that was a little bit closer of an encounter and I didn't, you know. But yeah. I find it fascinating. So. Really yeah. fascinating. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. A
1: lot of people uh, always say, like, you know, I want to see a UFO. I want right. to see a UFO. I I and I understand that impulse for sure. Right. Um, I'm happy I saw what I saw, I guess. It led me on this path I am today, into this room right now even. But at the same time, it was really scary. Yeah,
4: it probably was. Really scary. When you're young like that too. Yeah,
1: at such a young age, yeah, it really,
4: uh,
1: I I wouldn't say traumatized me, but it it definitely changed my perception of the world. But you didn't have
4: missing time, correct?
1: That's a tough one. I had what many have coined the Oz factor occur when I had my sighting. This feeling of everything slowing down around you and your senses are just going all over the place. Like I said, I had this weird vibration going through my body um, and just everything seemed to be blurry and going in slow motion. You know, I, when I finally did yell for my dad to come out, like, it felt like forever, when in reality it was probably just like that. I don't know. I don't know how long the event lasted, to be completely honest. Memory is fallible at times. Um, what I remember most is how I felt. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. Like, they, they grab onto that one thing they know best, and that's how they feel during something. Uh, not how high up was it, how big was it. Yeah, those things are great, and we would love those as investigators. If we can narrow in, we can try to figure out what it was. But at the same time,
3: whatever you saw that night right. and whatever your father saw, like, that's for you. Right. It's for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I will say that uh, you, you touched on it. A lot of people ask us, how do, how do I see a UFO? Where do I go, go to see a UFO? It's something that, that a lot of people ask. And I mean, sadly, or, or maybe not so sadly, there is no magic formula to seeing a UFO. But what I always tell people is, just look up. If you invest the time, you'll probably see something, because there's a lot of stuff up there all the time, day or night. So Sky watching isn't for everybody. It can be incredibly boring because it's a lot of time where a lot of nothing is happening. But the times I've gone and really spent full nights staring at the sky, you see some of the greatest stuff.
1: Even if it's not alien, the things, the natural things going on in sure. our world are just as exciting that are up there. It's, it's astounding.
6: Hi. Hello. Um, this was in the 90s. I was visiting a friend in uh, Pagosa Springs, Colorado, right near Dulce, Mexico. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of activity, uh-huh. I hear, around there. So I was had been interested in UFOs, and I, I was visiting her. Going, and we, it, I got there a little late. It was dark at that time. And we went out on, on her deck, had a great view. So I I, sort of, I saw some planes coming in from the left, very long view. And so I I said, hi. Just joking. Wow. Two planes turned into about eight. Bing, 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 bing. As if they answered me. (laughs) It was like, hi. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's that was interesting. very interesting.
3: Have yeah. you tried? Have you tried that again?
6: <laughs> <laughs> to go back to well, to go back to, I, there must be some familiarity with me of me, because uh, this wasn't a sighting, but this had to do with uh, totally inexplicable, in, yeah. inexplicable. When I was, I'm a twin. They liked to study twins, I gather, um, and I, I must have been about six, five, six years old in Indiana. Used to like to watch, for whatever reason, uh, the, uh, the stars at night uh, and uh, the uh, Venus. Venus. I was just fascinated. I was watching it every night. Well, at, it must have been earlier than that because I was still in diapers. I guess it must be earlier, but maybe that's why later I was watching Venus, having forgotten about this. Very small. Me and my twin brother in Indiana were found outside, all the windows closed, in the morning, wandering around in our diapers. Doors closed, windows closed. That was interesting. Mom told us about it. I don't remember specifically. Um, And then uh, very shortly after that, uh, during the summer, we would have simultaneous bleeding noses. Wow. Duh. <laughs> Something's happening there. We didn't think anything of it. oh, Glenn has a, has a bleeding nose. Oh, you do too. We're in separate bedrooms. You know, uh. So that may have been uh, some early connection, but it wasn't a visual <laughs> other than I was looking at the stars. And, and then in, another interesting thing that when you think about it, I had this big fear of being, I didn't have the word abducted, did not have that or kidnapped or anything, but I just knew that I didn't want to be taken away, and uh, I, um, and I would, uh, argue that the thing under the, under the, the bad, bad guy under the bed kind of mm-hmm. thing, or a closet, Now I was apparently very, rather courageous, because I got up and looked in that closet, <laughs> just to. Prove my brother wrong and uh, let me see
1: (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot these things are very rarely chronological they're messy they're again they're snippets of things that we sometimes try to push down or um, don't want to remember but yeah that's all very interesting the whole missing time bloody nose thing we come across that a lot in Mm -hmm. researching the uh, quote unquote abduction phenomenon thanks
6: for filling in yeah Uh, I I saw a uh, Cartoon Because I was really worried about being taken away I don't know why I saw this cartoon of a, 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 a Teddy bear that that was a paper cartoon. Teddy bear and the and the teddy bear. Some bad people were going to take these people. The teddy bear became a big bear and protected her. I that was very that was uh, help. I th- I thought of the head of teddy bear every time that would grow into a grizzly bear. And those children were not being taken away. See, they were kidnappers. I had a word for it then. So I there yeah. you go. That's those are some experiences of mine. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you so much for thank sharing. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Cool,
5: yeah. Hey. How are you doing? I'll make this quick. I live in uh, New Jersey by Fort Dix, Fort McGuire, Fort, uh, Lakehurst Naval Station. They're all together, right? I'm sure you heard about an alien getting killed in Fort Dix way back and stuff. Um, this was back in August this year. This is what led me here. It's my first UFO conference ever. I went outside of my mother's house, right, uh, talking on the phone. There's a little woods... A service road and then this big garden parking lot Power lines in front of me I walk out there talking to my cousin I'm looking up I think at 8.10 a movie was coming on So at 8 o'clock I knew I had like 10 minutes And I look up and you see a plane flying in the air And I look over to the left And a lane approaching And I remember whatever she was saying I'm like, wow I said, this thing's like really bright, you know And she's like, maybe it's a UFO And we laughed And when I took a step back I remember the power lines The plane moved under it Because my head moved Well, this light, like, almost followed my head. And I'm laughing, I'm joking, and this thing started getting closer and closer. Now my my heart started pounding. And I'm saying, this can't be happening. So instead of running like I was, I stopped. They said, let's see if it's really coming after me. And this thing was coming straight over me. So now I ran. When I got to the beginning of the trail, I looked up and it was gone. I don't know what made me look up, but about 200 feet over my head was a ball of light, and you can see something moving in it. I entered a completely different level of fear. Yeah. And I took off. What you said before, probably after two steps, I felt like somebody poured cement on mm. me. And I could barely get to the garage. I was dragging my feet across the sidewalk as I was trying to like run in. And when I got into the garage, about a two or three feet in, I felt like I got everything back. Mm. Fell on the ground, got up, ran in the house. My mother sees me all in a panic. I don't know what to say to her. <laughs> you know? I'm looking out the windows and everything, and then she's like, uh, I thought you'd be back earlier. I said, what do you mean? Now I hear the phone ringing. It's my phone. I don't have it on me. know, it's in the garage. I go. It's under my mother's truck. I pick it up, and she's like, what's all the commotion out there and everything? There was helicopters flying in the back and everything, and then it dawned on me. It was pitch blackout. 50, 47 minutes of my life was gone. Ran off the clock. The question I have for you is, people told me you should go to hip, hypnotherapy or something, and other people tell me not. It's like, I don't know whether I want to know what happened, because it blows me away that I can remember every second from when I seen it to the garage. But 47 minutes ran off the clock. Yeah. It's incredible. But wow. if you recommend it, I don't know. still like up in the air if I even want to know what happened. I've never right. seen a UFO before. I don't even know what this thing was. But Wow. That's my story. That's incredible. Thank you, Thank you for sharing.
1: Uh, in, uh, I will just add, in terms of hypnotherapy, um, it's tough. It, it's, I think, again, it's up to the individual. I don't uh, promote it. I also don't condemn it by any means. If you wanted, if you, if that's something you want to do to try to get some stuff out, I say go for it. But at the same time, it, it's hard. It's hard because. You have to trust the person you're going to. Uh, you have to make sure that there's no sort of contamination or leading questions when it comes to all that. And it also, if you want to remember what happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. is another big one. Um, if you're if you're good with what you remember, I say that's enough for me. That that event clearly had an impact on you, um, and I
3: say run with that. Not to make light of any any. Situation like that, but you know, I've certainly been told by many, many, many people over the years at UFO conferences that uh, they can fill in blanks for me. And they they have they 're happy to and and have informed me that i 'm a collaborator collaborator with extraterrestrials, and they 've been aboard the same ships I have and i 've been been a commander aboard a ship and and they were taken the the same night I was there, and they saw me working with the extraterrestrials so i 've heard that story multiple times, so um, I hear it without going to hypnotherapists, I know a lot of hypnotherapists um, Yvonne Smith is a is a good one. I would recommend if you're looking for something like that. But I, I don't know. I would take it with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, go to an actual therapist too. If you know, Yvonne if does good work. Who, yeah, yeah. If, if someone who's completely disconnected from the UFO topic might be a good choice. Or again, yeah, deal with it on your own terms.
3: I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's good advice.
1: Hello. Hello.
7: Um, this, this happened about uh, three years ago um, and in um, Ashburn, Virginia. It's not too far from Dulles Airport.
1: Mm.
7: And um, this was at nighttime, about 8.30 or so. I was picking my daughter up from work, and I just always have a habit of just looking up at night. I don't know why. I just always do. And um, I noticed 12 objects in the sky. And I was like, okay, this is kind of strange because there were 12, um, I don't want to say flying saucers, but like 12 disc-like objects. And they were all kind of bunched together. And they had like, it was like red, white, and green lights. And they were traveling as a bunch. And I told my kids, I had my kids in the car, um, I was like, look, you know, look, what is that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so we, we watched them for a minute. And I, as I was driving, I kept looking. I'm like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, it was like there was a sudden drop. And then they darted off in different directions quickly. And I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, planes don't travel like that, and planes wouldn't, you know, do what what I saw. I'm like, what in the world is that? And we were... um, as I was driving, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm so scared. I just want to hurry up and get in my house because I didn't know what was going on. I called my husband at work. He thought I was crazy. I'm like, there's something going on in the sky. I don't know if you don't hear from me again. This is what's going on. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I I told some of my coworkers and stuff the next day what I saw, and everybody's like, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy as nothing, you know. And we're so close to Dulles, it was planes. I'm like, no, it's not planes. And mm. I have a cousin who's a pilot, and I was telling him about it. He's like, no, planes don't act like that. So I don't know what it was, but it, it really scared me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I feel like it's in our nature to... Uh to have that defense first, mm-hmm. you know, we see something we don't know what it is, mm-hmm. we can't explain. It's going to be a threat. It's mm-hmm. p- possibly a threat, you know. Whereas some people, you know, like someone like Travis Walton mm-hmm. saw a UFO and was like, "I'm going to go, I'm going to go out, and I want to see mm-hmm. what's going on yeah. with this thing." So yeah. it, those are rare occasions, I yeah. would say, yeah. when yeah. that that wonder, awe, and excitement yeah. takes over. It was,
7: it was just, it was scary. And I guess what really scared me is the fact that there were so many of them because yeah. I I stopped counting at twelve. There mm-hmm. may have been more than that. But the fact that they were just, you know, they were all kind of traveling together for a minute, and then they just darted, I mean, like a sudden drop almost. And then this one went here, and this one, I mean, this in different directions quickly. Interesting. Wow. Wow,
3: thank you. Thank you. you. And with how common UFOs are, I mean, they're seen every day by people all over the world. You know, it's fascinating and, and sad that we still have to deal with the ridicule factor it's still so strong i mean you know i'm sure many of us have had that reaction at work telling telling people a story or something that happened to us and getting that getting that laugh getting the ridicule
1: i have lost so many second dates bringing up this topic (laughs) it's a good way to weed out a date though it it is it's true it really is a good filtering mechanism i guess for sure Hi.
8: Mine is more of an experience that I can't explain. Um, I'm a few decades older than you guys, but this uh, the first part of this happened in the 50s. And unlike most people, I can remember my childhood very vividly, and I was very precocious and active, walked at seven months, started knocking things off the top of the refrigerator by climbing up right after that. So I was about two, and we were traveling through Missouri, and I heard my... Pos- in the back seat and I heard my father say look at that look at that and he says what is that and he and my mother got out they stopped the car and got out to look at whatever it was and I thought well I want to see it too you know I'm Miss Rambunctious I got to be in everything but the whole time I felt like something was pressing me down on the back seat and I couldn't get up and then I went to sleep now Jump forward a couple of years, I lived in very isolated areas. We didn't have a television. I had no exposure to anything that would be considered science fiction or anything else, although I think my father had taken some astronomy. He had a Ph.D., so that was one of the courses he took. But when I was five, I had this really vivid dream. I can still visualize it, and it was something I couldn't understand, and i didn't have the vocabulary to explain it which you know makes me feel a little bit sympathetic towards the stories of uh, encounters from the bible and whatnot because they didn't have the technical language either but i tried to tell my father about it after i woke up and i'm giving him these detailed and you know descriptions and he kind of teared up he says what you just described was a spaceship going around Mars, and the two smaller items were Phobos and Deimos, which are the moons. I had never heard of anything like that, but it was just really vivid. So Uh, I don't know if some information was implanted or how that would have come about, but that's my story.
3: Fantastic. Thank you
1: for
8: sharing. Thank Thank you.
1: Yeah, there's always an interesting physiological effect too, I think a lot of these times or even parapsychological. I've come across cases where people have said that I I just something told me I should look up in the sky at this moment, or I should go outside or I should look out my window right now. And almost like it's drawing them to see it. Where on the other hand, we have so many cases where the UFO just fell into their lap complete happenstance. So I don't know what to make of that. The motives of these craft or these intelligence, but it's, it really is a wide spectrum for sure.
3: And I just thought of something, another thing I like to point people to when they ask that question about how do I see a UFO or where do I go to see a UFO? More times than not, when you read, and again, UFOs are in mainstream media every day, more times than not, the stories that are reported of people having UFO sightings involve people walking their dogs. So walk your dogs more, people. <laughs> so that, that's a good way to do it. And I also want to say, again, with the, the UFOs being in the mainstream media, there has been a lot of uh, a lot of the coverage lately has, has been pointing out how the numbers of, of UFO sightings are down. There's, there's been a decline. And I would caution you to read that properly. So what they're looking at is the number of reported sightings. And I will say this, having mentioned that I've had my 12-plus sightings, you know how many I've reported? Yeah, Most people who see UFOs don't report them, so that number is misleading. I
1: didn't Whether know what MUFON was, was when I was 12 years old. You know, A lot of people don't. You, 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 the famous UFO lecturer Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist, when he speaks at events... He will ask the audience, like, how many people have seen a UFO? 95% of the people raise their hands. And then he says, how many of you reported it? Maybe one person. So it's hard. It's hard. And there's so many reasons for not reporting it. I get it. I totally get it. You know, you're afraid of what people might think. Or maybe you came up with an explanation for it before you reported it. Or... Maybe you just don't want to know, but at the end of the day I think, yeah, if you want, if you see something, say something. That's what they tell us in New York.
3: And I I encourage people to report their sightings, absolutely, and that data is valuable, and I think MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center do a fantastic job. They they do a great job of tracking this stuff. It's stuff that should be tracked. Is it exciting when people say, I saw a light in the sky? No, it's not, but it's still data that somebody should be tracking, and I'm glad that they do it. Um, That being said, when you take a look at these reporting forms, some of them are very lengthy. They're, and that's probably why I haven't reported mine because <laughs> they want to be specific. To fill out, and they should be. I mean, there's more to a UFO sighting than I saw light in the sky at this, this time in this day. So,
1: yeah. At the end of the day, I think too, reporting it uh, normalizes this topic more and more. When we see everyday people, I have spoken to so many. Police officers, military people, doctors, uh, teachers, psychologists, everyone. Everyone has a story to tell of seeing something weird. So I think, you know, reporting it, even if it's like, your local newspaper or whatnot, it normalizes this topic, it strips the ridicule from, from it, and I think we can start having better conversations with more people about this. I mean, just look at this room right now. These are so many people that you could talk to about having seen something, no matter what it was. Maybe they could help you find an explanation for it. But uh,
3: Conferences are a great, great place yeah. to do that. They're like a safe space where... <laughs> all the similarly minded people are, are in a room and, and the ridicule factor is, is not going to exist here but I will say the stigma is is going away um, it might not feel like it at times but it is dramatically improving and look, I mean, again, Con is a perfect illustration of that UFOs and, and extraterrestrial topics have moved into pop culture you know, so it's accepted now, poll after poll indicates that, you know, majority of the people on this planet believe that uh, extraterrestrials exist and most likely have been here and may be here now. So, you know, that initial reaction with people is going to stick around for a while. Uh, the, the, The giggle factor, the ridicule factor can tell you how many people hear us. When they hear that we're taking UFOs seriously, they breathe a big sigh of relief and then open up but their initial reaction is to laugh because they think we're kidding. Yeah. When we say that you know we, we take UFOs seriously and when they find out that we're serious, then they can let their guard down and go, all right, they're not going to make fun of me. So <laughs>
1: it's a nice feeling. It it's really nice is, feeling. yeah. I remember my parents came to see me talk at a UFO conference for the first time ever. And uh, you know, skeptics, again, they, they grew up knowing I was interested in the topic. I don't think they knew how serious that I actually was about it, but uh, they came to see me speak in New York last year, I think it was, and afterwards, my mother came up to me, and I've never seen her so brutally honest, and she looked at me and said, this is real, Like, like, this stuff is real. And I was like, yeah. I mean, according to the data and the evidence and what I've looked at and the people I've spoken to, I legitimately believe this is a real phenomenon. People are having these experiences. I don't know what it is, but it's happening. And it's happening all over the world. And this isn't just a Western phenomenon other countries embrace this topic that ridicule factor is nowhere to be found so i think if we do that here we're we're in good shape and you know people like my mom who was a staunch skeptic uh is starting to come around and be like wow i should look more into this and uh yeah yeah that was a that was a pivotal moment for me for yeah for something like that that's when i knew that the ridicule factor was leaving
3: for sure i'm optimistic yeah me too (laughs) <laughs> well, we want to thank the uh, awesome Alien Con audience for participating with us today. And as we wrap up this episode, I'll quickly let you know that my podcast Unknown is available on all the podcast places, and certainly all the episodes are on our website, RoguePlanet.tv. Uh,
1: yeah. Other than that, um, there's an experience session later today at two forty. Come talk to me. I want to hear the stories.
3: It's going to do it for us, guys. Ryan Sprague, I'm Jason McClellan. Thank you for joining us. Do me a favor, friends. Stay strange.
1: That's it for this week's episode. Be sure to check out all we have going on over at Rogue Planet by visiting rogueplanet.tv. Visit our growing YouTube channel for exclusive videos. If you've ever wanted to get to know me more outside of the podcast, this is the way to go. Just search for the Ryan Sprague channel and be sure to subscribe. Many new videos have just been posted, and there's so much more to come in 2019. Please take a moment to subscribe to both Somewhere in the Skies and Unknown on Apple Podcasts. It is the largest podcast platform, and with each subscription, it helps us gain visibility, new listeners, and then we can ask new questions. While you're there, please also consider leaving a rating and review. Thank you in advance. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. We have a full merch store for your holiday needs. Go to teepublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store for exclusive merchandise. Again, that's teepublic.com. For past episodes, articles, contact info, and to order my book, be sure to visit the official website, summerinthskies.com. Thank you to HelloFresh, the E1 Podcast Network, KGRA Radio, and most importantly, to you for listening. I'll see you here next Monday, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies.
2: Produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.